your name and message. I'll get back to you. Nine one zero three seven seven five five nine eight. Verify the last four digits of your social security number when you call to better assist you with this issue. Now, if I don't hear a call from you, we will have to issue an arrest warrant under your name and get you arrested. So, get back to me as soon as possible. Thank you. Can I borrow your social security number? 605... Wait, was this for? Is the universe transparent? Transparent? Is it made out of glass? Is it made out of stone? For what the imagination developed is still growing, and where did it develop from? And where is it developing to? And what stages have we passed? then evolution would include the imagination as a needle sticking through it. And in that stone, a needle sticking through would be an eye or an iron, something profound. Maybe the universe is glass and it can't see itself. Maybe the sun feels us with its rays of heat. It has maybe an awareness. Did you ever consider that? And it feels every creature and every sculpture in the heat of the bronze that it reflects somehow within the imagination back to the sun and that it knows we are here. That it even worries about us when it has to grow and blow and... So the universe could be made out of glass. And then indeed, the forces of the universe would see us. It would go through us. It would see us. It would sense us. And it created mankind. So it created it in its image. And somehow, someone in the sphere of the glass around the humans in the stars would be their god somehow whirling, floating, existing somehow an aura, an ether, the imagination ether, the imagination ether. Without ether, the universe is made out of glass. And miracles are the needle where the stone of reality cracked. So, what's your approach to your ceramics? So, our main thing is that we did go to a school to study art. So, our ceramics is that everything is locally made. Uh, we do everything from the glazes, just so that we know what's what's in it. Yeah, we are trying to do something a little bit more 
with with such an old medium and make it a little bit more uh, modern, making it affordable but at the same time. So you can find us on our website, which is cherryceramics.com, or you can also follow us on our Instagram page, which is cherryceramics underscore ceramics. E C H E R I ceramics. Five minutes past twelve midnight. challenge to tradition closer to us is the aim of this film. Orson Welles. The Challenge, A Tribute to Modern Art. Herbert Klein. 1974. What is modern art? Why all these distortions, abstractions, revolts against tradition? How did it get from cubism to pop? Picasso wasn't a revolutionary when he, when he painted these. He was influenced then by the great 19th century French master Paul Cézanne. It's important to remember the early moderns grew up in horse and buggy days before the first airplane, before color reproduction, in an era when photography influenced artists to seek new ways of interpreting reality. Great artists justify the French poet Baudelaire's remark that genius is nothing more or less than childhood recovered at will. Childhood now equipped for self-expression. Giant steps were taken by another Frenchman, Georges Braque, and by his very close friend, a young Spaniard named Picasso. Together, they became co-founders of the most influential movement in our century, first named and ridiculed by a sardonic art critic as Cubism, and then championed by a great French poet, Polinaire. Modern art itself, New York's Museum of Modern Art, is forever a work in progress. Come together in the last minutes. So we will open on time and it will look fantastic. 
Arrest today outside the newly renovated Museum of Modern Art. Members of the Puerto Rican community say MoMA trustee Stephen Tannenbaum profited from Puerto Rico's financial crisis. His hedge fund apparently invested heavily in Puerto Rican bonds. You know, I'm from New York. I lived in Boston for a year. I moved to Minneapolis. I moved to Southern California, Santa Monica. I moved to Sacramento, where I learned to drive for the first time. Do I have any memories of the New York Museum of Modern Art? No. Millions of books have been written about modern art. Hmm. Over 300,000 books have been written about modern art. Are you kidding? Doesn't anyone have accurate numbers on this? More than three whole books have been written about modern art. And with all the paintings and flyers and booklets and signs, someone's got to keep track of all this stuff. And it won't be an actual modern artist or Flom because it's just too much. Like Flom stopped paying its storage fee a few years ago because, hell, have you seen our post about Patreon? Obviously you're spending too much time counting likes on your own posts, but our art collection is totally gone now. And that's what happens to starving artists and the Beatles, who also don't own any of their stuff. Millions of songs. So as Indiana Jones liked to say when there's a bunch of things floating around that belong in a museum, he'd then say, this belongs in a museum. But like, a local one, not an English one, because that's all stolen stuff. And it was really radical for this to happen with modern art, because museums all over the world were already filled with art. From dead people who have been dead for a really long time. Like the Dutch masters, guys named Vermeer, Rembrandt, Bosch, the painter, not the Amazon Prime cop. Van Leiden, Hals. And then even further back, guys named Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, and Leonardo, that today we know as mutant turtles. Like, all the museums contain their works. And modern art was so radical, no one knew what to do with it, because it was so weird. No one got it. Even the artists would fight. Like, go back and listen to the Meliévic stuff we talked about last season on this actual podcast. Like, no one understood it. So no one wanted to keep any of it. Just like Kanye so misunderstood today. And Conan O'Brien. He's a genius, and now he's podcasting just like we do. So those books I mentioned. When they were published, Books on actual modern art, like, they ignored the modern artists when they were actually making their art. Though they'd write about Van Gogh and Cezanne. Everybody loves Cezanne, because everybody loves paintings of still lifes. Like, tables and credenzas without fruit on them look totally bare, even today. But it was a really long time until the books started actually covering the still-alive modern artists who were actually making the modern art. And eventually, modern artists ended up with their own museum. The first one ever, like, it got a whole goddamn world. Thanks to the three women who just happened to have married rich. Though that kind of didn't help too much. Abby Aldrich Rockefeller, Lily P. Bliss, and Mary Queen Sullivan. They were called the Ladies, or the Adamantine Ladies. 
and they wanted New York City to have more than just an armory show of the modern stuff. Even though Abby's husband, John D. Rockefeller Jr., did everything he could to stop this nonsense from happening. Then she beat him up. Because you know, Mr. Moneypockets here simply didn't understand nor like modern art. And when you have money in the United States, it is your duty to eliminate or destroy anything you wouldn't hang above your own credenza. Or a gold toilet. So on November 7th, 1929, just nine days after the stock market crashed, the Museum of Modern Art opened in what has been described as modest quarters in the Heckscher Building on 5th Avenue in New York City. All the modern art that was floating around and pissing people off could now have a home, so Pablo Picasso could free up some space so he wouldn't have to trip over all those eyeballs he had floating around. And his dog, the stolen African masks, striped shirts, and women. But really, Europe took to modern art a lot faster than New York did. But that didn't matter. The steamroller of progress was going to keep on rolling as a young guy named Alfred H. Barr Jr. managed to build the tiny museum of modern arts holding which were originally eight prints and one drawing that they'd show over and over in the six rooms they had to show things in. And he'd expand their collections to include works by Wolf Van Gogh and Cezanne, of course. So today, the Museum of Modern Art in New York City is one of the largest. It's not the largest, hmm? Just a little, just one of the largest. I know a lot of people who are one of the largest is one of the largest museums in modern art in the world. The first of its kind, it houses the 300,000 books I mentioned earlier, plus a whole bunch of other things that have big numbers attached. Just like most men like to attach numbers to themselves. And as of yesterday, New York MoMA completed its $450 million reimagination and reopen to the public so you can see the original radical art that no one wanted right in front of you. Brilliantly lit and totally awesome. See Van Gogh's Starry Night as it was intended. Goopy brushstrokes on canvas. Not on a throw pillow, necktie, or cupcake. Though I'm pretty sure you can get those in the museum store. I want to know a necktie. I wish I knew how to tie a tie. See Picasso's Le Bordeaux de Avignon from 1907? where Cubism manifested a heartbeat or five, renamed in 1916 because Americans freak out when they see prostitutes, even painted ones. Yes, MoMA is back with a whole new approach to categorizing and showing its modern art holdings, as well as all the contemporary art they've collected that we hate today. Okay, love to hate today. I'm talking about you, Jeff Kuhn. So come on, go outside and see some art. It's there to affect you in all sorts of cool ways. Make you feel all fuzzy inside. Or angry. Some people get angry because they don't understand it, I guess. And you know, if you're in Sacramento and can't just pick up and head to the Big Apple, we do have a museum of modern art kind of west of here. And San Francisco MoMA has its own reimagining expansion just a few years back. The Battlestar Galactica people came up with the term reimagining, and they think it's funny how it's used all over the place now, even for MoMA. Well, I guess they can contribute to art some way. It's not like they're gonna do it with their show. And while you're wandering through MoMA in New York City, you can also see work by our next guest. 
because Radio Flam pulls out all the stops when it comes to modern art, which is still radical after all these years. Radio Flam, genuine modern radio. Massively aggressive. I, I remember a few years ago, Paola Antonelli just made a big scene in the art world by including video games in the collection. She just kind of turned MoMA on its side, and that was really fun to see. And then, of course, I see her calling you the super typographer and design fiction hero. Uh, I must say, Paola Antonelli is one of the first people in the design world to understand what I'm doing. And she's so sharp and she's so smart that she's fearless. Uh, how should I put it in words? She understands the time in such a brilliant way that for me is, uh, is really amazing to see her uh, talking and to, to understand uh, her uh, motivation. And uh, she was actually uh, one of the first people to call what I do in a name. She called it design fiction in the times where design fiction was uh, a, a term that uh, was not born, you know. That's exactly what I do. I mean, within the experimental area, within the experimental uh, way of thinking, what I'm doing is a fiction that is based on design, just like science fiction is based on science, but it takes it further, you know. So I base my, it's kind of typographic design fiction. Radio Flam talks to graphic artist, super topographer, and design fiction hero, Oded Izzer. thing to your work that is why I think it resonates. You have this way of just really freaking people out. <laughs> a student said in my class, the only way I learned from your class was through a lot of pain. Whoa. And the pain is what caused the adrenaline to go, which caused the reaction and then when I, I show your work there's there's always you could hear the hush in the classroom when I showed Tyth Embrya they would all just sort of go <laughs> and and it is you have dramatic techniques in there you have film techniques yeah uh, I'm actually teaching a film class right now which is uh, getting me out of my graphic design comfort zone yeah and that idea of adrenaline in the classroom and those situations it's it, it goes against there's something in there about that resonance for seeing something horrific or seeing something I, I think you're veining thing my interpretation of it is tattoos are commonplace today I got my Malevich tattoo right here. Cool. And if you really want to shock people with a tattoo, which used to be a tattoo, tattoos were shock value. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to go a lot farther than that these days. Yeah. You have to do veining without uh, killing yourself in the process. But but yeah. but I must say that veining idea is not to shock people. But you happen to do that. Yeah. Well, unintentionally, it's like. You know, in order to show the process, I must show uh, the surgery, you know? Yeah. 
And that's what is shocking, actually. The surgery is shocking. Yeah. It's not the pr- the pr- project itself is not a, a, about shock value. It's it's about doing something honest, and honesty is a lot of time is shocking, actually. But but I never I never sit down and think, oh, I would like to shock someone. You know, no, no it's it it doesn't work like yeah, this. I, I think you just do that automatically. It just there's people jumping for attention for shock value. And I don't think that's what you're doing. I think you're just putting it out there and we respond to it. Surgery is a thing that uh, these these things really do resonate in yeah. our world. It's a lot of stuff that we should be able to talk about too without being freaked out by Well, it. think about that. I'm an Israeli person. And I think that there is a, a kind of a culture difference between Israel and the U.S. I think that Israeli people are more, much more willing to be open and to say things straightforward. Yeah. I think that in the U.S., the people that are honestly speaking are mainly comedians. <laughs> and in a way, in a way, yes, the, the, the yes. Role, yes. really, yeah, the role of a comedian in the U.S. is, is to say the truth, you know. And I think yeah. that more or less. All over the world, comedians saying the truth if they are really good. But in the U.S., it has almost a healing effect, you know. And in a way, uh, in Israel, in this sense, a lot of people are comedians. <laughs> in this sense, because because they say they they tell you what they think in your face, you know. Things that would uh, be considered in the U.S. like uh, inappropriate are very common here so in a way i'm i'm a little bit much a little bit more free than an american uh, designer you know uh, yeah. to say these things to talk about these things actually and i think mm-hmm. that uh, uh, the price is this uh, shock thing you know the price to pay but the truth is that if you get over it you see the beauty in it. I think you also explained that the history of uh, Jewish comedy too, because <laughs> it it really it is really tied to the culture. We're very good here at uh, making things up to make us ourselves feel better. We don't have toilet paper here anymore. We, we have bathroom tissue. <laughs> Sounds better. George Carlin <laughs> was the guy who pointed that out. He did a lot of plays on words. There was a thing someone said to me recently, what's really good about you is you tell the truth. And I tell the truth all the time because I think lies are too hard to keep track of. If you do tell the truth, you end up pissing off a lot of people here. And But I think we need more of that. We need blunt. I had to learn over the years how to become blunt and not go too far. Because once you take blunt and add humor to it, you get in a lot of trouble as a teacher. Mm. <laughs> you know, I have this uh, project that I did, uh, the Middle E project. Did you see these? Uh, it's like series of screen printed works that I did for uh, an exhibition in Manchester last year. They wanted me to design uh, the letter E in a way that will reflect my uh, my place and they they didn't mind if you do, if if your place is like your flat or your uh, your city or your country or your region actually and i've been I, I thought you know i i figured out that i'm the only designer who is not european or american in this exhibition so i naturally thought uh, i can do something about the middle east 
And uh, because the situation in the Middle East, especially in Syria and Iraq, you know, we all know that there is a war going, going on. So I wanted to reflect this uh, situation, which is uh, uh, really horrible, in a single letter design, you know. And at the end, it, it, it came out really beautiful. But but the process to go there was uh, a little bit depressing, you know. But I was I was insisting inside myself. I insist about uh, doing a a true letter E, a true letter that will reflect what I saw and will not try to make it beautiful. So in a way, you know, uh, I I almost wanted to use blood in there, you know, to print it with blood. At the end, I didn't do that, but but I did something which is very similar with color. But my aim was to try to see whether typography, or actually even harder, a single letter, can reflect a horrible situation. Uh, I don't know if the, I succeeded, but that was well, my aim. Actually. With the explanation, uh, I'm getting that. I'm, I'm getting that in the animated version. I'm getting that in the printed version. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. I'll, I'll have it out on the blog so people can see it. Uh, it's and, and then to speak as an American, I mean, what's going on right now as we're re- recording this with the Kurds, and it, it's like we're insulated from what is going on. I reposted on Twitter just some of the just horrible things that are happening to humans right now in the Middle East because of just really stupid decisions of a guy who should not be president right now just on a whim deciding this and then people it's it's really it's really hitting me and then you know i saw the the other works which were in the exhibition because actually it was an exhibition about the abc it's like alphabet so each one uh, designed one letter actually and I saw the works of my colleagues, and and they all were so beautiful, you know, and 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 talked about beautiful things and nice things, you know, and and this was the only work that actually uh, went to the the wrong side of graphic design, if I can put it this way. Uh, but but actually, I think it summarized up what I actually really want from graphic design to be. I want it to reflect a true angle of our life, really, instead of, of making it, polishing it or making it more beautiful, you know. And in, in this way, I... I'm sure that I lose some audience, but then I get the audience that I really want to have, you know, like thinking people and yeah. people that are really interested in life and not in hiding life, uh, you know. I, I'm really having a hard time with it, and that's, that's a good thing. So in your process here, how how did you keep going? Because there's a little bit of mechanical, but it's it's very emotional what you're you're doing here. Did it come quickly? Did you spend a lot of time on it? How what was your process? I usually usually think a lot. A lot of time I don't have answers. I 
I talk a lot with my friends and I, I talk a lot with my colleagues, my friends. I have a long conversations with people when I think about my new project. Because usually, not all of them, but some of the projects are uh, the kind of project that I don't have, I almost don't have enough references, you know. So in order to understand myself, I talk to other people and I, I you know, it's like uh, I exchange ideas, I hear them and I understand what they see in it, you know. Uh, for me, what you say, for instance, is, is really important because, you know, everything, every word and sentence that you tell me, you say to me, it, it, it is kind of, uh, it makes my mind rolling. It makes my mind go further. So in a way, uh, yeah, a lot of thinking, a lot of conversation, a lot of writing, actually. I feel, I feel my, I have sketchbooks here. Actually, in every, every time I have two sketchbooks uh, in parallel together. So one is more commercial and one, and the other one is more, and the other one is, uh, uh, more experimental. And so I write a lot of things until I understand myself. Sometimes I don't understand what I want, you know, and, and it takes time to understand. I mean, the veining project took me almost a year. And the actual work on it took less than three months, you know. Yeah. So a lot of thinking, a lot of uh, trying new things. And then and then I kind of uh, uh, wrap it all together. Um, so so that's that's the, the process usually in my more experimental stuff. When when you talk about uh, commercial stuff, is much more easier. Is talking with a client, understanding what his needs, you know, the, the regular stuff. You know, what else do you have that you could surprise me with that I haven't seen? Well, recently I worked on on some uh, fonts uh, together with my. Uh, uh, I'm collaborating with uh, David Jonathan Ross, who's uh, an amazing typeface designer from Boston. Okay, we did together. Uh, fit. He designed the the Roman, and I designed the the Hebrew version of Fit. It's a var variable font. It's the first variable font in Hebrew, actually, in history. So it was a, a really, really great time doing this with him, understanding the how he thinks and trying to match the Hebrew without losing the Hebrew, but to match the Latin. This is a, a project that we did uh, like uh, last year. And recently, actually only this month, we released a Hebrew version for another typeface called Totellini. Again, it, it was such a nice process to, to try to translate visually the principles of the Latin, but uh, of course, to merge it with the, with the principles of Hebrew typeface. Is that the French one? No, I'm looking at it here. Yeah, but oh, the, it's the, French Clarendon. Okay. Yeah, the 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 reason he called it Totellini is because uh, he calls all his slab serifs uh, after pastas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so this is uh, the kind of project that I worked recently. It's like part of it is a book, is like uh, a traditional book design. Part of it is a typeface mm -hmm. design. Is like 
sometimes is a cutting edge typeface design and then there is the experimental yeah. stuff like the design fiction stuff where I uh, basically I invent a mm -hmm. story and then I just design it. Oh, well, they have an Armenian too. Yeah, they have a minion. It's a new I just saw thing. The Armenian. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Well, well, those of you listening to this, remember, it's a blog post with every episode. You have to go look at the visuals I'm going to be posting this week. Or it's graphic design you must see. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I've got into the audio world. Although my take on audio is then it creates visuals in your head. So uh, I'm hoping I'm stoking those fires. Exactly. I've been thinking about a project where I just describe letters without showing them, just describe the, the, the way you write it or the structure or something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's just audio and not visual at all. That's, that's, not gonna, that's not gonna confuse anyone at all. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when I really think about the future of typography, uh -huh. I think that actually if you, if you really think about it in a straight yeah. line, you cannot avoid the the thought that the typography as we know it will simply disappear because you know the world goes from long text to short text to just images to just sound messages and then to videos and that's it yeah i mean why do we need text at all these days you can just Talk to Siri, you know. You don't need any any type. You don't need any letters. It might be that in a hundred years from now, it will be very rare to see typography. You know, to see words written uh, somewhere. You know, and when I think about that, I naturally think about okay. So, what typography can do besides being read? And I know this is a kind of a radical thought because typography meant to be read is, is it's, it's, it's like its natural role. But you cannot avoid the fact that if typography will disappear, I would like to think about maybe we can do something with that which will be needed, you know. What comes to mind, I usually teach beginning courses, which I love. Because mm -hmm. uh, advanced courses, the students tend to think they know everything. Uh, the beginning courses, if you really want to reach a graffiti artist, you, well, you have to know how graffiti works. You have to know how tags work. And the statement I started making years ago, and originally it was just a statement, but I actually believe it now, uh, just based on how type evolved over the past few thousand years, is graffiti could be our advanced form of type. You have to understand the dialect of the graffiti from whatever region it comes from. If you really get into it, you can tell the difference between New York graffiti, LA graffiti, San Francisco graffiti. Of course. Those are all yeah. letter forms that are evolving on their own, usually from artists who never studied typography. Uh, and we're so used to not reading type at this point because there's so much type being thrown at us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I've, I've noticed some things just teaching my history class over the years. Like the first 10 years or so, I put quotes at the beginning of each, sli each uh, slideshow. 
and students would read them. At this point, unless I read them to them or ask them to read it, they just see type yeah. on a screen. They don't they don't read it. You see, I thought about this point that you raise here. Yeah. And a few years ago, I actually made few works for an exhibition called The Practical Particles. I called it. I invented then a typeface called dot font. As its name suggests, it, it is font made of dots. And the idea behind it is to design a typeface for the generation that doesn't read. That was kind of uh, my thought about the fact that we read less and less. And then I, I went even further and I invented uh, what I called the GIF writing machine. I called it We Are Family, and, and the, the letters were made out of videos uh, from YouTube, like fragments of videos, and that formed letter, uh, letter forms. We are, we are after videos, yeah. so why can't letters be videos? Well, I, I like that you're... you're you've opened this box and it's something to look at because yeah, we, we are in a world now where no one reads. Uh, and, and then you have like people like me going, go read a book. It's really important. And it's like, no, I could get a summary on, uh, Here you uh go. on wiki <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, kills the whole experience but uh yeah we are changing our whole media up and well you can you yeah. can try about that or you can think what you can do about it i mean i i prefer i prefer to go with the flow and just to invent new experiences because i think that nobody is really right i mean uh books are probably a very good thing. I love books. I have an enormous library here in, in my house. I don't think that the, the new generation uh, who read less books is uh, uh, necessarily more stupid or ignorant. You know, so in in a way, in a way, I think it's 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 a wiser thing to think how we can create with this fact uh, as opposed to, 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 to cry about it, you know. Radio Flaw. Is love.
disastrous Fortune EP release party will happen November 14th at Pershing in Austin, Texas, supported by Abram Shook and Curtis Roush. That was her latest. Grow. When you sometimes find that everything you do seems to go slower, 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 slower. You may be suffering from middle-aged slowdown caused by irregularity. Slower, slower. When you're bothered by middle-aged slowdown due to irregularity, you need Carter's pills for temporary effective laxative action. Slower. Carter's relieves middle-aged slowdown when caused by irregularity. Here's why. Carter's is gentle, yet it gives effective stimulation to the slowed-down muscles of the lower digestive tract. Slower. Thus, Carter's gives the temporary relief you need. So when you're slowed down due to irregularity, slower. When you're bothered by middle-aged slowdown due to irregularity, slower. So when you're slowed down due to irregularity, slower. When you're bothered by middle-aged slowdown due to irregularity, slower. So when you're slowed down due to irregularity, slower. Let Carter's help you enjoy life again as you should, slower. So when you're slowed down due to irregularity, slower. Carter's slower. The laxative that relieves middle-aged slowdown due to irregularity. You need Carter's pills for temporary effective laxative action. Bring your mother. These young men are in the Soviet army and proud of it. They're mounting guard on Lenin's tomb. Yet if their grandparents had emigrated to America, they might be in the U.S. Army now, and they'd be equally proud of that. War. A commentary by Gwyn Dyer. PBS. 1983. Freedom has a price, and I believe this, and I preach it. Freedom has one price. And history bears me out. There's one price that freedom will accept, and that's blood. To ignore the facts of history and the aggressive impulses of an evil empire, to simply call the arms race a giant misunderstanding, and thereby remove yourself from the struggle between right and wrong and good and evil is folly. I would give all my abilities, my experience, and if necessary, my life, to protect my socialist motherland, to achieve the total destruction of the enemy. And I can't think of anything more honorable for me personally than to be a soldier. Uh, and that's my job if my country asks me to go and fight. hundred miles down that road two and a half centuries ago, French and German troops were fighting against Austrians and Dutch and British at a battlefield called Blenheim. One and a half centuries ago, about two hours drive over that way, German and Russian and Swedish troops were fighting against Frenchmen at a battlefield near Leipzig. Two generations ago, French and Americans and British and Italians and Canadians and Russians and Australians were fighting against Germans and Austrians and Hungarians and Turks in trenches that extended almost all the way around the horizon. About the time I was learning to walk, American B-17s and British Lancasters were flying over this spot on their way to bomb Dresden. And at the end of that war, they drew this border down through the middle of Germany. Looking east, American NATO soldiers see the front-line troops of communist tyranny. Looking west, Warsaw Pact border guards see the western forces of reaction and imperialism. 
they all think that they are in a unique confrontation. The causes of conflict lie in the breakup after 40 years of communist rule of old Yugoslavia into independent states. The new states are split along religious and ethnic lines. A boss of mine who knows something about television news used to lecture us on three questions that every successful news program should address. I believe they went something like this. Is my world safe? Is my home safe? Is my family safe? Ted Koppel, Nightline, ABC News, 1992. And since no one has yet demonstrated any immediate danger to our world, we have remained remarkably untouched, unmoved. As Michael Lind writes in the current issue of The New Republic, the tragedy of Sarajevo in 1914 was that too many great powers were willing to intervene in the Balkans. The Sarajevo tragedy of 1992 is that there is not even one. why your stuff is really resonating for me. I grew up in the 1970s and 80s in the United States, and you're exploring a part of the world that we were insulated from. We didn't know much about the Soviet Union. We were supposed to hate the Soviet Union. And there was a real big eye-opener, I remember. In the 1980s, there was a documentary called War with Gwen Dyer. And it was the first time I ever saw, outside of Ronald Reagan and all the propaganda, that you guys are just more human. And it sort of started this whole movement for understanding more about the East. Mm, that sounds really interesting. I mean, I, I understand what you're talking about, and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't see the film, but I know, like, uh, here in Croatia, for instance, my, uh, my like, parents and uh, grandparents were talking about how, like, the media didn't or did cover, you know, parts of, like, our history, like, especially during Yugoslavia. Radio Flom talks to Mihovil Pienart of Croatia Infiltration. A three-man team of students and dedicated explorers focused on photographing and documenting abandoned places in and around Croatia. There's a cool story, you know, that um, because Yugoslavia was kind of in between the West and the East, it was not really a communist country and it wasn't... It, it was like in a, a special bridge between, you know. And what was interesting, we have this uh, hotel called um, Hotel Haludovo, and it was a casino uh, where people from, you know, the West could come to Croatia. It's uh, on the coast on a beautiful island of Kirk. And uh, it was a bridging point between all the East and all the West. You know, people from all countries came there and have had fun. And uh, Tito was uh, using this for, uh, you know, promotion of Yugoslavia. It's now, of course, abandoned. Uh, like everything else that's uh, the relic from the Yugoslavian era. And also there's a very famous abandoned underground airport called Old Željava. Today you can still have like uh, American planes and even Russian planes. Tito was receiving a lot of gifts from both uh, sides because they were trying to win over Yugoslavia on their side and Tito was really good in playing it cool, you know, between both sides and never kind of siding with anybody. Person, but it's a very, very controversial topic now in Croatia, you know, there's like a lot of uh, 
as in whole Europe, you know, with all of this like crisis and everything that's happening, uh, all the right wing people are now uh, in charge, and uh, they're completely, you know, labeling people that you know want to discuss about the history or even mentioning, you know, Tito or Yugoslavia. You're like labeled a communist. Get out of the country. Blah blah blah. It's it's horrible. And uh, Croatia has this big issue because. Uh, we didn't. We kind of separated the church and the state, but it's really, really interconnected. You know, people are very much religious. I don't have nothing against religion, but when they're interfering with, you know, politics and uh, you know, like people's rights uh, and, and everything that follows that, young people are kind of fed up and they just want to go somewhere in Europe to work where you know it's liberal to talk and discuss and work. If you don't care about all this stuff and just want to have like normal normal human rights and basically Croatia is now in decline for a lot of uh, people like young people just uh, exited the country went abroad and worked there so for instance like from my class and uh, and like even from my college class around 30 percent of people are now working abroad which is fine but uh, I don't know it's it's kind of a weird thing that also maybe maybe has to do why we decided to do our videos the way we do it because if you know went somewhere like Germany or any Western country that's more developed than uh, Croatia, the, the rest of the people who have similar ideas, you have to compete with them. But now in Croatia, there's like a lot of opportunity for young people because there's not a lot of competition. So I'm just trying to, I'm not like a patriot or anything, I honestly don't care about borders or anything, but I just think that there is possibility for work work here in Croatia if you just stand out, and that's something that we're trying to do before all of us leave one day, but I don't think we're gonna do that. Exploring Tito's Bunker, ARKD-0, Konjic, Bosnia. Croatia infiltration 2019. When our videos came out regarding being on Bosnia and everything, there was normal a lot of like weird uh, comments and everything, but uh, there was always this couple of few positive ones from younger people, and especially from Bosnia, Serbia, and everything, you know. The most people that have some issues with their video are from creation. It's like uh, the relics from the war, you know, they're just like, well, why are you filming this? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, that, that's something I could have elaborated a bit more, but they're like not uh, satisfied with us giving spotlights to Bosnians or Serbs, and it's like complete bullshit. I just don't buy it, and you know, I hate when people, you know, do it like this. And it kind of gives me more motivation to just continue and, you know, saying F, F them and uh, doing it their own way and, you know, just push for the bigger picture and that's that we're all human and the war is over and hopefully there won't be any other war and uh, it's in the past, you know, as you said, all the all the old people that were in charge then are now either dead or too old to do anything and it kind of has to do also with how were you raised. And not friends, but I know a lot of people whose parents were really affected by the war, so it's kind of understandable. But they're raising them to, you know, hate hate other ethnicities or countries, and it's something I just cannot stand. You know, it's not it's not natural. It shouldn't be like that. And we're gonna like try and push and do our best, like represent a completely 
normal and good picture about everything we do. I'll just talk a bit more about creation filtration, the whole project. So as I said, the project started around 2008-2009 and it was a completely passion project. It was a passion project. And what's most important for me is that I didn't like see uh, see this urban exploration. You know, I didn't see like a photos of abandoned buildings and thought, "Oh, I should do the same." Uh, it kind of happened naturally to me. It was a <clears throat> it was a long summer back uh, when I was finishing high school and uh, uh, when I was starting my college days, and all of my friends were at the seaside. So this one day, I was completely bored out of my mind I didn't know what to do so I kind of found on the internet a small blog where this guy posted uh, some clues in uh, in a forest here uh, here close to Zagreb about like a, a bunker that's hidden inside the mountain and he didn't post any photos it's just in text and the clues will see this arrow will see this rock and I kind of like said to myself okay I'll just take my bike go and see this clothes and maybe I'll find something interesting and that was like the best day ever because that's how the whole project started I just went there with my bike uh, you know I took some food took uh, water and everything and after uh, like three four hours I found the entrance to this tunnel and this guy uh, told that it was uh, closed when he was there and when I came there it was actually open uh, so I entered inside took photos and video with my mobile phone <clears throat> and it was like the best experience I've ever had you know walking around this completely creepy pitch black tunnels you don't know what's around the corner like every step is like an adrenaline rush so I lost the whole day there I completely forgot about all of my friends and this boredom and everything when I came home I just uh, thought about, uh, about the name, called it Creation Infiltration, and uh, at first we started like with a blog, and when I published my photos, a lot of people were really, really interested with it, and they just started, you know, naturally posting uh, some other locations that we should check out, you know, because a lot of people are kind of afraid to go there, and it's completely understandable, because it's not the safest thing to do if you're not cautious so if you're not feeling up for it you shouldn't do it you know it's something that you just have to have a feeling for I guess but uh, what I was saying is that um, <clears throat> after like a month or two I realized it was a bigger thing in the world you know people uh, people kind of just uh, I just realized that there's like a whole community in Europe and America of people who just like this abandonment and that that's kind of cool you know because it's different when you like see it and then imitate it and it's different when you like do something for yourself and then realize it's a bigger it's a piece in a bigger part you know Basically, what we did in the next 10 years is uh, try and document all the locations in Croatia. So, for instance, I have over 150 military bases, underground bunkers, radar stations, you name it. And uh, a lot of them, like 90%, uh, people don't know that it's still there, you know. <clears throat> and what's more interesting, that uh, where my like architecture skills came handy, 
it's kind of bizarre, but all of the all of the drawings and you know the uh, like the plans uh, are still in uh, Belgrade. They're not uh, in Croatian archives, and they still consider it a uh, military secret. So there are no actual uh, actual plans released uh, to the public regarding the military bases. So what we started doing was mapping them. You know, with just smaller budget lasers. Uh, for measuring and we did uh, floor plans for that and uh, af afterwards like a lot of I don't know production companies or people who wanted to use similar locations for shooting or for like events or something they completely were blown away that we have even the plans for them you know it's something that doesn't exist in, uh, in creation. <laughs> It's kind of a, a big deal for us that uh, we have so much positive response to our videos because I didn't expect to be that popular. You know, we just launched our channel maybe two months ago and uh, we're growing really good in numbers. People are <coughs> very supportive of uh, our work here and even abroad. There are no cameras so far. No, there is no camera. There is no camera. But therefore, before we jump in, we have to sprint check in. It. Okay. Yeah. But for the next season, we're trying to do uh, more of like the communist countries, for instance, we would really like to do Ukraine and Belarus because they have more more really, really interesting monuments and leftovers from the war. <coughs> also, we would like to do uh, Chernobyl again, but in the season when there's not a lot of people. I was there like seven years ago and like last month my friend was there and it's now like a completely tourist-filled zone, so it's not like the same. <laughs> <laughs> To see the remarkable black ops-like cinematography and storytelling of Croatia Infiltration's video documentaries, head to croatiainfiltration.com or find them on Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, you can find all their videos, with subtitles for the Americans, on YouTube.
Overactive imagination She loops, loops, loops And all the time wasted She spent dreaming of idealistic situations She knows, knows That nothing is faded You gotta go make everything That you stated But she, she never gonna be B Never gonna be B The girl who she dreamed she could be Because Okay, moody bluesy Sounds with Moody Bluesy, another track off the awesome Hurricane of Roses EP. Nikki Sounds can be found at nikkisounds.com, Spotify, Facebook, Instagram, Amazon, and SoundCloud. You're listening to Radio Flaunt. I love Radio Flaunt. Shut up. <laughs>
my field is interesting because you want to be unique but you also want to be practical when you're trying to make a space work as well as possible that kind of problem solving can um, result in creativity Leanne Janik is an art junkie interior designer in her earlier art days she experimented with mixed media projects such as sculpting enormous lungs out of cigarettes in high school Today, she does interior residential design for affluent clients in the Sacramento area. Problem solving is what keeps it interesting a lot of the time. And in my line of work, every project is different. No two are the same because no two clients are the same, usually, unless you have a repeat client. <laughs> but um, so every house is different. Every client wants something different out of their house and wants a different look and style. And so uh, because of that, you're always coming up with different things. Walking into a room and just feeling so good about life and about yourself and feeling more confident and I think that the space that you surround yourself can do that, can affect you in major ways. I was always interested in art and so I always knew I wanted to do a creative kind of career but um, I wanted something that was a little bit more structured than just being a fine artist and so kind of I was most interested in looking into graphic design and interior design and I kind of like had a very gracious mother who let me like make minor decisions around the house and change things. In a lot of ways it's what separates us from other animals, the need to not only survive but create beautiful things for no other purpose other than that it's beautiful. Radio
Is the new project from Beirut native and Soho Dolls lead Maya Marie. This was Jahibi B. Yala. You can find New Pharaoh's music on Facebook. Radio Flom, because we said so. So I'm at Oblivion Comics. Here's one of the owners, Laura. Well, hello. Uh, okay, so October. Hey, what's, what's it like to work for uh, Laura? It's amazing. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So October, uh, we're actually going to be celebrating Halloween Comic Fest. It's on the last Saturday of the month. So we're going to have a bunch of free comics for for kids and adults, kind of scary themed usually. So that'll be pretty fun. Costumes are obviously more than welcome. the executive director of the NorCal Noise Fest. I'm basically the door slug as well as the marketing guy. So. But yeah, well, I see you're always out there. You're always liking my tweets and stuff. You're, you're on the social media, just yeah. putting everything together. Uh, what did it take to, to put this together this year? Well, we had the uh, Indiegogo campaign to do some of the initial funding for advertising and things like that. And then we had a whole series of meetings with the, with the secret masters of noise. We generally start in the spring, like March, April, and then every month. And then sometimes when you do the audio waffle, we'll have a little touch base meeting then. So it was a lot of discussion of who can play, you know, sending out word to performers all around the world, and then we we consider them. Some people they're they're not a good fit for Noise Fest. You know, you got, hey, I've got my drum and bass project. No, no, it's not Noise Fest. Not Noise, yeah. Yeah, um, and so there's a lot of that filtering and selection, and then finding out who can actually make it. And the, we've got we're fortunate in that the venues have been pretty static the past few years, and so that's one of the things we haven't had to do is find a new place to do it. But um, and then a lot of it is just the logistics. Uh, making up the t-shirts and buttons and the other merchandise and that's mostly my department. Yeah, the, the button this year is bragging about 23 years, right? The yeah. longest NorCal or <laughs> longest NorCal, the longest noise uh, festival going, right? Yeah, so far as we know. Yeah. I, I actually have a question about that. So since you've been doing this for 20 years, uh, has... There's, there's obviously a lot of vibration and stuff going on in the building. Has anything ever fallen apart due to that? It's a fun little question. Well, that's a good question. I think about it mostly. I, I don't think as a, due to the vibration generally, we we pick fairly sturdy buildings. We want to, right. you know, but occasionally things have been disassembled deliberately as part of noise performances or uh, more aggressively disassembled. If you if you come tomorrow to see Uberkunst, you'll see some very aggressive disassembly. Really? But, um, but generally, yeah, we've never seen uh, that. Sort of is that like a preemptive thing so that way the, the well, sound 
phone doesn't disassemble it. Well, it's partially it's 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 a, a it's a way of disciplining machines to ensure that they function correctly by uh, torturing and murdering other machines near them to keep them threatened. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, the best warning is a good torture, right? Yes, exactly. absolutely. Uh, machines only understand force. So, where can people uh, get to learn about uh, NorCal Noise Fest so they can prepare prepare for next year? NorCalNoiseFest.com or on social media. There's a NorCal Noise Fest Facebook page, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all the, uh, you know, we don't we don't have uh, uh, Snapchat, but. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't really. I feel like that might be a little so uh, faded. Yeah. Anyway. Maybe, yeah. No, nobody's on there anymore except porn. But uh. yeah. yeah. So those uh, bummed that they didn't get to come to the festival, and they're hearing about this now. Uh, what about uh, Audio Waffle? Yeah, the Sacramento Audio Waffle. It's the third Sunday of every month at the Red Museum, and it's a matinee show. We start at noon. We usually have about half a dozen bands and a different flavor of waffles every month, along with piping hot coffee. So you can skip brunch and just head straight down to the noise. It's a, an all-ages uh, matinee performance, and it, we're a little more flexible with the musical styles, so it occasionally gets a little closer to music, but never quite scraping into conventionality by any means. It's also a good opportunity to hear new projects, because very often, if someone really wants to try noise they've never performed before, they, they, they might consider Noise Fest, but generally we'll have them come play a waffle first to try it out, get them in front of a crowd so they can work out their set and hopefully develop uh, more uh, more of a refined approach. So for those whose uh, imagination you just sparked and they go, yeah, I might want to join this and I'll, I'll hit that up. Uh, what's a, what's the community like for, for noise? Um, I know some people might see some of the punk appearance but but what's it like coming in? The best description for Noise Fest or the, or the, the that I ever heard was uh, nerdier than a Star Trek convention. <laughs> That's great. Really? That's... That's quite a bold statement. Yeah. So you heard and it this here. and and that was that was uh, someone in 2003 and and Star Trek was even nerdier in 2003 than it is now. That the the people that come to this there's a lot of people who are who are electronics geeks who are computer people. There's a lot of people that are just interested in high technology and a lot. Well, okay, a lot of rejects and so you kind of have interesting and unusual tastes and uh, all of a sudden you get put into a room with a lot of people who are actually into the same thing. Perhaps so it's, it's actually not too different than uh, than a con. Um, you know, so yeah, if, you know, if you go to an anime convention or a science fiction convention, there's the, all these like-minded people in the same room, and that can be really exciting. The Noise Fest works in the same way. It's just with avant-garde audio instead of uh, instead of uh, um, tentacle porn. Yeah, yeah, that's more of a nymphomercial <laughs> yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Sandy, Alexandra Roman. I'm from Oakland and Puerto Rico. I kind of, you know, switch times from there there, and I go by Demon Sleeper. I also have a duo called Las Sucias, and then I also have a solo project called La Macacoa. Uh, where can people find your your stuff really quick? Um, Demon Sleepers on Bandcamp and SoundCloud, just like Demon Sleeper, the whole, you know, one word. Um, Las Sucias, the same thing, L-A-S... S-U-C-I-A-S. I think that's my biggest project that's got the most, like, reach um, because it's a reggaeton, dance hall, cumbia, 
Afro-Caribbean noise duo with this girl from Venezuela and we do this like kind of noise music but it comes from a different place that noise music kind of in the US has been established. So you're you're branching out into all sorts of different cultures of noise music, noise performance arts. Right, so like noise, you know, like in uh, Oakland and the East Bay is kind of known, it's kind of kind of showcased by white men mostly. So um, as a women Latina duo, we're bringing the noise from like this different ancestral kind of angst. Um, colonial shit that's different than the noise that comes from like the t- traditional white male. So, so Chad got to hear Demon Sleeper as his first noise performance ever. What sets wow, what, what cool. set you Absolutely. different? Well, like, what, what was unique about yours that he can distinguish from the next like few ones he, he listens to? Sure thing. Um, I use a lot of bass, kind of um, low rumbly pulses, because my project Demon Sleeper is about nightmares and lucid dreaming. So I'm trying to invoke this kind of um, trance and kind of uh, get you deep in this different subconscious level and then from there I'm making a noise that's kind of this low rumble comes from a like a gut place and a subconscious level place How'd you get into the the NorCal Fest, uh, particularly, like this scene? Okay, so Sacramento peeps are really good about reaching out to people and having them and booking them. They've been consistent. Um, East Bay has a really good noise scene. It's always had a good noise scene, but I don't think we're as good as reaching out. So I feel like I'm here a lot because they reach out to me and... um, and I like to just spread out and come over here. I mean, it's like an hour and a half drive, so it's not that bad. And you traveled an hour and a half to do this? Well, it's two hours and a half because there was traffic. We came out at a bad uh, yeah, time. That's true. But I'm staying the whole terrible. weekend because, you know, I see a lot of people from that I never see, and I only see them in certain fests during the year. Uh-huh. Um, people from from all over the, the, the country and the world that come to these things. So this is not just like a gathering of music. This is a gathering of just weirdos and people coming together from all over the country, not feeling so alone in this kind of niche world. Yeah, I mean, we live here in Sacramento, so we think it's just another thing, but it's really all over the world, people are coming for this event. Yes, totally, totally. Uh, And it's kind of cool being crammed into one little cafe, right all next to each other. Yes. Uh, So are you performing any of the other nights here? Yes, I'm performing tomorrow with um, Instagon, because he usually has other people come in and and collaborate with him, so I'll be here tomorrow as well. I think he's doing an all-femme lineup this time, except for himself, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so where are some of the instruments that you use? Because you had a whole table of stuff. Uh, Chad wasn't yeah, sure if that was, was like some of the stuff set up for everyone's performance and you added right. to it, I, but I that was... You had like a whole, like uh, uh, it was like a white patio table just just covered with wires and, and, and other electronical equipment. I couldn't make heads or tails of it. What, what was some of that that you were using, actually? Sure thing. We call it a noise table. You know, these little, like, patio tables. We call them noise tables. Very apt. And, and, um, and that's just, like, a spread out of a bunch of gear. And it's improvised, so I like to pick what I do. I like to have, like, a big palette One, one of, thing of, I did notice that you were doing, because I'm sorry to interrupt you. You, no, mentioned okay. improvi- you mentioned improvised. So I noticed you had the mic inside. 
inside of your mouth while you were doing a, a lot of that. What, was there a specific reason for that? I thought that was really interesting. I think it was practical co combination of things. Like there's an aesthetic aspect to it. There's also like a, a specific sound that you get from getting it in your mic. You kind of get, when you put a mic in your mouth, you get like not just the singing, but you get like the non-intentional breathing. So there's like a realness, a genuine to it. I use like three or four different mics. I like to have like a contact mic and a bunch of mics and get them through different branches of pedals so like they're affected differently so I can kind of add them in and out I can move like the mic in and out and kind of create these different um, effects with like stereo and effects and all this shit um, so I have control I'm using my voice as an instrument and I'm also using the microphones and instruments and so my voice becomes something that's not a voice it's this other thing so I can make my voice sound like a percussion instrument so I have control of the beat um, I can make my voice sound like this like ethereal kind of background thing or this bassy and you just lose track of what I'm doing because I'm making this gestures kind of trying to trick you and take you into this different world but I have some drum machines I have some synthesizers I have a lot of effects pedals going through and a big mixer with just like a lot of channels so I can just bring in and out things with my faders on my mixer um, and just kind of control with like faders, like this soft fade in and out of different worlds, kind so, of different sounds. So to us, what may seem like madness to you, there is plenty of method in it. Yeah, it's completely con it's completely controlled. Yeah, but there is a lot of shit going on. A lot of yeah. a lot of cables. A lot of but I know what's going on, and I use colors in my cables to know kind of really quickly identify what's going on and where's what. Um, and I have different projects, so I always arrange it differently. So it's kind of like a, almost like a visual um, palette of, of I, I just have kind of this visual canvas of sound, and I'm just kind of painting with the different things I have. It's a very visual process. So do you use every piece, or is it just kind of like those are your different plates on the table, or paints on the table, and you're just picking what you want in the moment? Like. I'm picking what I want in the moment, but I also have these like prepared kind of little background, backbone things that I sometimes get throw in, and then just improvise on top of it. So there's always like a solid background. So you have a structure. I have a structure, and you have to be prepared to sound weird because it's normal so you never know it's unpredictable these kinds of fests you don't get to do sound checks it's like quick back-to-back -back set checks so when you get there you just have this mass of crazy sounds and you just have to figure out how to control it that's the thing about noise you just unpredictable shit and you just have to control it the way that it's sounding and that's what's happening I had no control at first but once I figured out how to control it I was just kind of going for it and it's like energy work you're feeding off of the audience and yeah so so my my next question is um, how much of your performance is structured and how much of it is improv because obviously you mentioned there is some structure to it uh, what like how much planning do you actually because obviously there's a lot of planning with the with the physical equipment but how much planning do you actually put into the actual performance itself as opposed to improv improvisation so with demon sleeper I usually don't have a lot it's very minimal I'd say 10% structure okay and 90% improvised right so, depends so, on the project I'm doing but this time it was like about 10% structured so I am yeah. trying as an improvisation I feel like it's a big risk it's risky as fuck because you're trying to it could be a disaster but you're trying to feed off of the audience and work on that energy together so I really love these small venues for noise is great because I think a lot of people that do noise also improvise and also just kind of 
feed, feed in with the energy that's in the audience and the people around you and the other players and the smaller the venue I feel like the more you get that juice together and you can just really just go for this crazy you have all en- of energy. You have enough reach to scoop in all the ingredients from the crowd, right? Yes. Uh, is there any particular like example of something you did tonight that was in relation to the audience? Like, was there a certain like thing you did maybe you didn't expect to be doing? Yes. Um, I have this tape player. Um, I like to add tapes to, to, to add this kind of like layer of more analog kind of lo-fi sounding um, sound. And I can pick different tracks. So I picked... Um, particularly my ex-boyfriend singing because at that moment I was just feeling that heartbreak and I just fucking brought it in and I put a curse on his voice. I just fucking like, just was like, oh yeah, bitch. (laughs) Boom. I was just, I was doing a fucking witch ritual So I take it it wasn't an amicable breakup. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's great. I'll get over it. I'm in the anger stage of that shit. But it is, like, I totally, you know, it was like a big heartbreak. So I use this as, like, a purge, kind of um, very healthy, um, uh, yeah. Well, there's something special when you can purge your emotions and everyone applauds for it, you're right? Yes. As long as it's not, like, this thing that people suck and it's just negative, as long as it becomes this kind of neutralizing that fucking shit together and, and using the audience to help me kind of work through it, yeah. And in, empowering that, like, strong getting over. So today's the first day of the event. Have you already been influenced by any of the other performers, do you think? You, you find anything you've, like, latched onto and maybe want to try? Um, or are you kind of out on your own? Oh, yeah? Yeah? I mean, th- there's been, like, I've played here before a few times in the Norcal Noise Fest, also in the uh, Noise Waffles that they do on Sundays. Um... Then I've definitely been influenced by, like, for example, Crank Sturgeon is playing. I bought his uh, contact mics. Crank Sturgeon is playing tomorrow, I think. He's one of the noise legends in the U.S. Um, he's definitely a huge influence, as well as Monty Casasa from Throbbing Gristles performing tomorrow, I think. So there's a few players here that are huge influences for me, no doubt. Yeah. And Norcal Noise Fest, I want to mention, is the longest-running experimental noise music event in the country. How long is that? I think this is the 23rd. Wow, it's been going on for 23 years? Yes. That is incredible. Yes. So the Sacramento peeps, humble as fuck, but they have been doing something consistent, which is a lot of work. I've run venues, I've run festivals, and I know how hard that stuff is. So these guys get huge like uh, thumbs up for me. I'm always trying to support them as much as I can. Yeah, they kick ass. They, yeah. They're rocking it. Yeah. It's hard in a world that's so niche, like noise, you know, it's so small. There's not a lot of reward from these kinds of events, not, not financially, obviously. And it's small events, not a lot of people. So it takes a lot of... Um, It takes a special kind of crew, a good community, a sense of community to keep this going. And that's what I super appreciate from here, from from Sacramento. Yeah, I mean, how many times is someone reaching out to get different artists to perform and stuff? They're they're doing it, they're they're putting in the effort to not only just make a good performance for an evening, but to really get a community together and, and to show, you know, weirdos have a home. 
Yes, and that is just like, you know, it's a lonely world when you're a weirdo and you make really weird music and you just get more and more isolated. So this is important for our survival, to have this community that puts together nationwide, worldwide people. They um, paid me to come here from Puerto Rico when I was living over there again. Um, and paid me really fucking good a few years ago when the Hurricane Maria came. They were, uh, they paid me extra, like crazy from the door, and I wasn't expecting it. So they go out of their way to support women and people of color, marginalized people, and people that are going through struggling. So it's not just supporting a, a bunch of weirdos. We're supporting, they're supporting, they have a good cause. They're woke and they have the right mindset. Uh, well, anything else you want to say? Last words? Uh um, no, just uh, I, I just want to thank you for doing this because I think that the key to like this world and, and what we're doing right now is documentation and I try to take a lot of video but I think we all have to be even people that just come to see I think we all should be taking more video and audio recordings and interviewing people so big, big support for you I'm, I'm going to follow you and thank you so much for doing this Hey, thank you, we appreciate your time
My name's Arian Delabahan. Uh, I have the Noise Act Perugia, and I just performed uh, about half an hour ago. Yeah, so as we were saying, you were one of Chad's uh, first experiences, and, you know, uh, so the, the third to be specific, and, you know, three performers down, and everyone's already different. What, what sets you apart a little bit? Well, I think... I don't really come from a noise background. I'm more into metal and grindcore and and classical music. So if you uh, go back and listen to my piece I just did, kind of has valleys, real heavy, loud parts, and then soft parts, kind of like you hear in a, in a Beethoven symphony, where it's up and down. It's like a roller coaster. A, a real journey in the, yeah. the composition there. So. Um, yeah, it's a classical influence and, you know, the metal influence, it was just really brutal and heavy. Um, one thing that I that really stuck out to me with your performance specifically was actually the ending. And because I know it's throughout your entire performance, you were filling the space so much with what you were doing that when you ended it the way you did, it was as if that... that what was filling the space was suddenly gone and suddenly that negative space so almost pulled me forward towards whatever wherever the sound was coming from it it was it was like someone opened the airlock or something like that there's suddenly all this negative space and it, it was it was for lack of a better word it was jarring but like in a good way i thought that was really cool actually yeah i just wanted uh, the ending to be really dramatic it, and uh, it certainly a, was it's it um because um the person speaking in my samples was uh, Martin Luther King. That's from his, uh, there was quote, there bits and pieces from his uh, speech, um, forgot the name of it, I think it was called Will to Love. And um, it's just about, uh, not the piece, my piece was called Darkness versus Darkness. So it's about, you know, can't fight darkness with darkness, which people tend to be doing these days. <laughs> you know, just reflecting on that name and what you did, you really showed, um, you know, in a, an event all about noise, you showed how powerful silence was at the end oh. there. But, I mean, only because of how powerful your noise was. And you also had, like you said, you used a, a tape with words. Uh, most perform noise performances distort it to the point where you can't understand, but you, you could with well, yours, you know, it was in there. I wanted a message to yeah. my piece and I don't want it to be just noise I want it to be more than noise so you really you're, you've how, how much of this is premeditated and, and is any of it on the spot um, just kind of as you go because I know some people are a little more free form or are you is everything you do planned out yes okay so so you're one of the, the meticulous they, ones uh, it's not really meticulous I plan it out to where I know when I'm going to do this part and that part but then when the time comes when I'm doing it, I might do it a little differently than I did it before, but it's still the same part played at that time. So it's definitely a lot more of a performance than an, than a, an improv performance, but there's you definitely seem to leave yourself room for improv should, it, should oh, you yes. need it. Yeah, that's... Uh, with, uh, you know, with performing noise, there's always room for... There's always room for improv and noise. Yeah. How'd you get into noise? Well, um, my friend Audrey used to go to these shows all the time, and um, I heard about it, and I was really interested in it. So, you know, I went to one show, and I really liked it, so 
I got I wanted to try it one time and just got hooked that's good it, it seems like that's kind of some of the stories just it's a powerful thing to experience it it stays with you it's not like music it it you just one time's enough to get it wired into your brain you know well um I, remember I made this a point in my profile on the what on uh the noise the NorCal Noise Fest website my profile uh, made a point to point out that to me noise is music yeah it's abstract music just like if you were to compare Michelangelo would be Beethoven and de Kooning would be a noise musician Willem de Kooning so uh, I guess that, that comes from your background, though. This is just another step, a different evolution of the medium, right? Right. And uh, where can people find your stuff? Um, I'm on Bandcamp. Uh, just look up Perugia Noise or just Perugia. How do you spell that? P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A. All right. So we've been wondering. We, we noticed a certain bleed from performer to performer. Did you like meticulously go through and pick the order? Or yeah, is that just, I, yeah, I pick out the order so that it flows well between like the sonic aspect of it and the and what the stage management involves. Like, I don't want to have three performers on stage followed by three performers. I don't have two, you know, it's like I want to, like, tonight, Luna's is generally a night of solo performers. Like, there was one duo tonight, but for the most part, it was all soloists. The rest of the weekend, we'll have lots of variation, and those, the the way the schedule is arranged involves how many players were involved in each ensemble, what they're doing. It's like I don't want to have a sonic harsh noise act followed by another harsh noise act. I want to mix it up and like people, you know, get some variation in what they're doing. Yeah, because there's a lot of variation with it. Some people actually embrace music. Some stay as far away as they can. Well, it's still, it's like they embrace the concept of sonic sculpture. I don't know if I would say musical. Music is a little bit more melodic. There's not so much melody happening here. It's a little bit more just outsider and just sound-based rather than melody-based. Do you want to introduce yourself? I'm Lob. Uh, I'm the organizer for the NorCal Noise Fest, and I run a project called Instagon. And where can people find info on that? Uh, NorCalNoiseFest.com, Instagon.com, all of those places. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just more noise in the background, right? More noise in the background. Uh, so, yeah, are you excited for the rest of the weekend? I am excited for the rest of the weekend. I'm Personally, I'm really more, as the, as the weekend goes on, as it always is, it's like once it starts on Friday, I'm really excited that it started. But as, as I've been, you know, organizing and planning it for six months now, I'm really excited about Monday. Yeah, after it works. <laughs> That's when you can let us soak it in, right? Yeah, I'm really excited about Monday, where I just get to relax and it's done. And, and I have to think about it until March. April of next year. Uh, but we've had a great, tonight was a super turnout, great lineups all the way around. Tomorrow, the rest of the weekend should be supersonic and exciting. I'm looking forward to it. All right. We're listening to Radio Flom. 
Join us at the Red Museum on October 27th for a very special movie night. Benjamin Christensen's 1922 silent classic, Hexen, with an all-new analog synth score performed live by Tyler Baldwin of Tentacult, Sacramento's newest band of heavy metal gods. It's a perfect movie for the season of the witch, part documentary, part horror film. It's a journey through the history of witchcraft and Satanism, complete with vile and disturbing visuals and a macabre sense of humor. You won't believe this film is nearly a hundred years old. Special guest DJ Lady Grey will be spinning before the show, so get there early. $5 at the door, movie starts at 8. That's Hexen, October 27th at the Red Museum. 212 15th Street in downtown Sacramento. Oh, and wear black. Once again, K Astra.
Do you believe in dreams that come true? Do you believe that when you experience a dream, that your eyes are able to see when they're actually closed? That dream world that takes us to the invisible world of dream and what we dream and what we produce inside ourselves. Sometimes we give it the allowance of something else altering a message to us. Sometimes our subconscious invents certain scenarios that may lend some network of knowledge to us as to further our decisions. Sometimes our anxieties bring up fears, fears that we haven't yet discovered about ourselves. And what would, should we do with all this wherewithal about dreams? They say that <clears throat> when people experience dying and going away from us, away from the earth, away from the vessel that their soul is on the preparation of escape. They say that people experience some of the same similarities, especially those that aren't known to us in this conscious world. The unconscious sometimes has dark clouds that follow certain people. Certain people run into hallways of which decisions to go into. Some people talk about the, entune, the, the attunement to uh, experiencing a, a level of uh, similar soul agendas. Uh, some that lead to always being miserable and in despair, some that venture into more fear and anxiety roles, and others who sort of linger towards the light and towards a more happier state of being. But there are choices to make and rooms to go into, supposedly, from the, the majority of... Uh, souls that do talk about dying and then coming back to life. So dreams, you know, some have said that the keys of Enoch display uh, the ideas of context to different dimensions that we all sort of uh, still rely on are two-dimensional with reading our third dimension as being depth perception. <laughs> the, the, the fourth being the dream state and going into the unconscious. The fifth being medium bears between ghosts and demons. The, the sixth being living in that world and being able to project onto the third and so on. It goes on up into other levels that are really harder to explain, but knowingly, other subconscious invisible world leaders live in a more universal setting that we are still privy to. Uh, Jesus, apparently a lot of people believe him and don't, but there are some who never were raised as Christians, brought information saying that even in the seventh gate, does he, he does exist. 
he does uh, at least when they say Yahovah, there are other names that they apply for them. The secret to it is that there is still a lift of people or souls or angels or superior beings that are watching us. So in our dream state, is it such a is it such a a surprise? Is it is it that we don't think that Big Brother's enough? There's probably more than just Big Brother that are observing and watching us. There's also information gathering that there are some very important reasons why this planet exists in our solar system, and we as humans were given, um, you know, the gift of having uh, free will and choice. I think choice is something that was taken for granted. Uh, you know, there were arguments in the higher heavens, according to you know. Uh, you know, God was the creator of all. And then, of course, he had angels that he delegated to do certain properties in the universe and he gave them out to. And one happened to be Lucifer, a very powerful and important angel. And as a result, uh, lost or got declassified over a question of why do we give humans free will or free reign of choice? Well, being that we have privy to dissolve all these things, if we eliminate the outer stimuluses out there, if we um, actually do more meditation, of course, you can find those answers uh, given a lot of really uh, sacrificial and and uh, disciplines. Yeah, the, the breatharians and fruitarians and vegetarians and vegans out there who are in you know, at some point uh, able to achieve looking at that blue pearl inside of us that has um, sort of answers to those invisible uh, thoughts, those invisible questions that we can't answer unless, you know, we verify seeing them as humans. So when when we arc the question of the invisible world and dreams, where are you specifically? Have you just been shallow all of your life? Uh, I can tell you, you'll probably get a reimbursement of not only shallow dreams, but some that take you slightly deeper. Those that aren't able to remember their dreams, they probably um, already live in the dream. They say that it doesn't take just sleep to dream at all. It, you actually can dream throughout the day. We just attune more into it when we allow our consciousness to rest. But if you are able to tap into it, see above that gray cloud that's always there to fog your day up, um, you can have some really quite miracle results in the day and not even realize all the miracles that surround us. Um, again, <clears throat> I also want to mention on a monoscule level what that is. Uh, it, it, like germs that exist in the wind, the 500 or so many different worms out there in the air that we breathe, and all those little tiny minuscule things. Imagine if they all had prayers. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine if <laughs> if they had a conscience too, and then, you know, what, what are their daily needs and wants? Um, so when I look at 
uh, humans in general, because we're talking about human dreams at this point, not even dog or animal dreams. You watch your parrot, your pet's dream, and you probably wonder what they're going through. But I'm talking about uh, those dreams that exist more like uh, uh, to a conscious soul, to uh, something that not only does your subconscious create, but uh, part of a greater whole that is there to give us lessons and to help us become the video recorders for the future. The ones that witness those pains and those endeavors on a small minuscule level, we as uh, a planet exist in a solar system. Now, I'm not saying how many solar systems are out there, but I do know that the star, the sun that keeps us warm, that we take for granted, is compared to a grain of sand on Earth. For there are, reportedly by NASA, there are more suns out there uh, than grain, a grain of, uh, excuse me, the grains of sand on this planet. That means the ocean, the desert, there, there are more suns out there. So let's go there for a minute and just say one of those grains happens to be the sun that's out there keeping us warm. Well, okay, let's go that deep because if if say God were in every grain of sand it, that existed besides all the other minerals in the universe, in the air and everywhere else, give that to him as us sort of even, like I said, worrying about little germs out there that have their prayers and being able to answer all of them. I think that's fascinating to know that, that we can't even comprehend the level of conscience it takes to govern something like dreams let alone prayers and the daily sacrifices that are being made or the daily pains that are being prayed for to um, be exalted. So, hey, that's my thoughts on dreams. That's my thoughts on the invisible world. Let's not even get into our invisible thought, big brothers, because that's a whole nother conversation. Let's leave that to that higher dimension that we don't yet understand uh, I'm not one to be an expert on it and I certainly cannot be the one that says I know it all on that uh, but I will stand to be corrected hey if you have your thoughts bring them on challenge it see if uh, when you dream you can ask to go to other dimensions higher than what you experience be happy to go to sleep for what little sleep people get these days. Radio Flom is brought to you in part by Transparency Because just knowing is half the battle and if you're swimming in the wrong crystal goblet, maybe reading a little bit of Paul Boujon will help you make better choices. Carter's Little Liver Pills. They do the work of calomel without the danger of calomel. Very quickly so you won't have to go slower. 
slower, 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 slower ever again. Fixafile.com. Great printing, low prices. Delivered to wherever you need delivery. Diego Valley at twitter.com slash Diego Valley underscore LTHM and soundcloud.com slash Diego Valley Music. Seventh Swami at seventhswami.com. And and our Tiffany level sponsor, Quadcast.fm. Because if you're not getting crystal clear interviews on your podcast, maybe Squadcast can help. At least Paul Bujon helped them make better choices. Don't you wish you knew what I was talking about? So do I. Hey, Audrey, uh, Cliff, still pretty sick. Uh... I don't know. Uh, there, there's talk of a, a GoFundMe for for what's going on, but but anyways, um, Chad Chad's been doing the credits, just like not. He's reading the script verbatim. So where it says, and I'm okay. Cliff Allen, he he says Cliff Allen and not Chad Andre. So could you just do it this week? Read credits this week. I'm so sorry. There is a kitten in my room. I, I got it. <clears throat> Please read the credits this week. From Sacramento, the heart of California, and around the world, this has been Radio Flom, featuring a cast of dozens appearing on tonight's episode in order were Steve Mehalo, Milk Surface, Aliel et les de LND. Louise Magana en Alejandra Calderon au Vécherie Serap. Orson Welles. Randé Tavares. Kevin Trivedi. Jenny Soto. Paul Wyatman. Ode des heures. Kayastra. Mioville Pirna. Nikki Sounds. Lilian Janik. New Ferroz. Laura Benson. William Bourg. Chad André. Alexandra Bousquement. Ariane de Labahan. Lob Instagon, Tentaculte, Adam Murphy, King Oliver, Ron, et Tristitia Languorem. Continuity provided by Our Annoncé, Jason Spear, Audrey Daguette, et Avon Lejanique. Radio Flowers produced by Steve Mahalo and Milk Surface as himself. Theme music by Chelsea Davis. Sound design and engineering by Steve Mahalo. Radio Flom is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. However, recordings of contributors or guests of Radio Flom are still protected under international copyright law. All episodes can be downloaded for your convenience. Radio Flom contains works featured for review, opinion, slash critique, and or artistic transformation and will contain adult content and nudity. Flom is a faux modern art movement, art history resource that promotes learning and education through new and alternative media. 
Flom is your online connection to art history, music, and beyond through Instagram, Twitter, and other social media. We are Flomus. You can be too. Donations graciously accepted at patreon.com slash Flomus. Or just buy us a coffee at flomus.us slash coffee. We are at Flomus on most social media. Flom is sometimes explained, but usually not. This is Chad Andre saying thank you for listening, and if you don't like this podcast, do something about it. You want to see on the webcam how many minimal cages and offices they are building? Look at the buildings today. People are very lazy and the artists are working at the discount stores filling shelves. This is not right. Profit over people. No, but what do they own? Profits are means. Don't blot it out, don't polarize over it or they'll just go on. Like, the Medici were also crooks. At least they spent on opulence. It's this we need to be modest civilians shit. I wouldn't want to try and lick their faces to snap them out of it. But I wouldn't mind rubbing my butt on the floor. In dog language it means I loan the floor. Marking territory. territory.